All right, turn to Isaiah chapter 5. My mic turned on here. Appreciated the morning message. We're a blessed people. We're a blessed nation. We don't, we certainly don't deserve it. Uh, we're, the majority of America is very ungrateful for what they have. All right, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned, nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of the host is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day we've had. Lord, I thank you for this church and our pastor and the people here. We thank you for your preserved word. And Lord, we thank you today, especially for our nation. We thank you for those who have sacrificed and paid the ultimate price, shedding their blood. Lord, that we might have the freedom to assemble here today. And Lord, we know that you have blessed this nation. And Lord, we, we see the ungratefulness and the sins as a nation that we're committing in your sight. And Lord, we, we fear for this nation because we know that you're a just God. But Lord, we pray that you'd have mercy on us today, those that are trying to live right. And Lord, help us to be a light and a witness. And Lord, I pray you'd help me today as I preach your word. I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish all of your good pleasure with your word. You promised it would not return void. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen. So Isaiah was living at a time that was uh, great for Israel politically. Um, but not so much spiritually. Uh, we know from Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah received that prophecy in the year that Uzziah died. He saw the Lord. So we know that the king Uzziah was a godly king, and we know that the kingdom was prospering. Um, Isaiah was living during the reign of Uzziah at the time, receiving this vision from the Lord of Judgment against the northern and southern tribes of Israel. Uzziah, or Azariah, 
uh, was a godly king who God made to prosper. Judah was growing at an exceptional pace, physically and economically. It was a time of great military expansion and fortification. The king had many wells dug to supply the need for all the abundance of cattle that were in amazing abundance. This time might be compared with the Trump presidency, we could say. You know, during the Trump presidency, we all here know that the nation was doing better economically since time of Reagan, I'd say. We were prospering. And just as some preachers declared Trump to be God's anointed, people said he was anointed to God, he's going to be the savior of our nation. We've seen what has become of that. Obviously, they were false prophets. And much like today, back in this time, there were prophets declaring peace and safety. And they're, they're looking at the king. He was a godly king. And they're looking at all the, the ways that the Lord was blessing them. And they thought they were okay. They, they prophesied safety, peace. But there was many prophets during this time that were declaring judgment. Isaiah was one of them. The Bible says Uzziah also loved husbandry and had vineyards in the mountains and in Carmel. Perhaps this is why God compared Israel to a vineyard in this passage. Just my speculation. Isaiah sang this message of judgment to Israel. And for some reason, Pastor Webb didn't teach me how to sing a sermon so I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm sure you're disappointed. I've never seen Pastor do that either. I'm not, not quite sure why. But Anyway, Isaiah sang this message. I'm not going to do that. I'll do the best I can to try to expound what the message was. And we know that this was delivered to Judah, the southern and northern tribes. Um, both are dealt with here. And it's not talking about the church um, but we can apply some of these truths to us. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. It's, it's written for us. It's not just history. It's written for our learning. So there's much we can learn from this. And the message to us in this passage is this. God has planted us in a very fruitful hill. You know, pastor's message went... went <laughs> along quite well with what I'm going to be preaching. We are a blessed nation. But the question we need to ask is, what are we producing? What is our nation producing? What are we as individuals producing for the Lord? So let's break down this parable. And now we can't pay attention too much to the, the, the details. It is a parable. But we'll break down uh, this passage here the best that I can here. So we see the, husband, the husbandman's vineyard. In this passage, God referred to Israel as his vineyard. Israel was the Lord's. And what a tremendous privilege they had to be called the Lord's vineyard. Out of all the nations of the earth, the Lord chose Israel to be his chosen, peculiar, special people that he gave his revelation to, the law of God. He dealt through his prophets, his people, and they were supposed to take those blessings and, and take that law and publish it throughout the world. They were to be a light unto the Gentile nations. They were privileged, greatly privileged. 
And they could say without boasting that we are God's chosen special people. They, they could declare that. And they wouldn't be lying, they wouldn't be boasting in any way. Oh, what a privilege. And we see also in this passage the husbandman's labor for the vineyard. This speaks of all the things the Lord did for Israel. He chose a place for them in a fruitful hill, the most fertile land in the world. No doubt when God speaks of a vineyard, he's talking about the entire land, not just, you know, we think of a vineyard, I think of my dad's couple grapevines that he has. And, you know, those, this little bit of grapevines, it's, it's quite a bit to manage. But that's not the vineyard really that the Lord's referring to here. This is a great, massive vineyard. Acres and acres of, of, of um, vineyard that he had to take care of. And it says that he fenced in the vineyard to protect it from those that sought, that sought to infiltrate it. You know, you put up a fence around a garden or around a vineyard to protect it from deer, rabbits. Um, my dad just put up a big fence around his garden. Ryan just put up a fence around Pastor Webb's garden. And that takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It took a lot of time. And it says God um, put up, the, or he fenced Israel. You know, what a task. Um, he, it also says that he gathered out the stones from them. You know, the pagan nations were greater than Israel. And the people, they had better military. They, there was more in number. But the Lord gave them victory over the land that they may take the land. The Lord says, go in and told Israel to go in and possess the land. But it says that he removed the stones. I think that's sort of what the idea is there. You think of acres and acres of property you till it up, and then you walk through, and you pick up all the rocks. That, that takes a lot of work. I'm sure with a big vineyard, one person could not, could not do that. Like I said, this is a parable, so we're not supposed to take everything literally. Um, God doesn't even work. We can't really say God works. Um, he doesn't have to strain himself in any way. But for the sake of, of the parable, this is how Jesus explains it, or the Lord explains it. Uh, and he planted the vineyard with the very best vines that he could purchase, no doubt, all this at a very great cost. You know, plants are pretty expensive right now. And with the inflation, it, it costs quite a bit. It costs quite a bit also to fence in, if you're going to fence in your garden. Lumber is outrageously overpriced. Fertilizer, we know there's fertilizer shortages right now. And fertilizer is getting unbelievably expensive. And they're saying we're going to have food shortages because of that, because the farmers can't get fertilizer. Uh, so the Lord put in all this work for this vineyard. It says he built a tower in the middle of the vineyard to watch for infiltrators. That would be the purpose of a tower, is to keep an eye out, to keep a watch, you know, from people stealing the crop or whatnot. He built a wine press for harvest time in the vineyard. Again, no doubt at a great cost and time and labor that it took to do such. And we see next, we see the husbandman, the Lord's expectation. His expectation in verse 2. says, And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. You know, all the time, money, sweat, and labor that was put into this vineyard so that it would produce a great crop. You know, who would plant a garden 
and, and not want anything from it. Now, would you, Howard, would you put all that time and sweat and toil into gardening to not receive anything from it? No, there's an expectation there that you're going to get vegetables, you're going to get fruit. And so the Lord also had an expectation for Israel. You know, harvest time was coming. This was going to be a wonderful day. He should have reaped a great harvest. And the word says that he looked. Uh, he looked for fruit. The words and he looked are translated from one Hebrew word. That means to wait for with an expectation. Every gardener should know what that's like. Now, I went to look at my plants last night, and they're not doing anything yet. But I'm expecting them to start doing something, producing vegetables, hopefully. So it says the Lord looked. He expected a harvest. But we see something terrible here happen. Despite the beloved husbandman's perfect, faithful care, the harvest came, but it was not what was expected. Israel was shown the grace of God like no other nation. They were given special privileges, such as their redemption from Egypt. They were given the law of God and His presence abiding with them. They entered into eternal covenants with God. God gave them the best land in the world, and it was already cultivated. He gave them victory over the Gentile nations. He promised to protect them, and on and on and on we could go. They were a privileged people. And what did they do in return for the Lord? It says they brought forth wild grapes. The word wild grapes are from one Hebrew word that can be translated as poison berries. How would you like it if you, you planted something, instead of a delicious tomato, you got a poisonous tomato? That, that, I wouldn't be too happy about, about that. Uh, the vineyard yielded something deadly when it should have yielded the very best of grapes. When Israel should have been a holy, peculiar nation, a witness to the goodness and greatness of the God of heaven, they were a reproach to his name. And the, the poison berries, Isaiah goes on to explain what these, what these fruits are. Starting in verse 8, Isaiah says, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. These people were prospering like they'd never prospered before. They kept building and building without care for the poor, without care for God's law concerning the sale of land, and without thankfulness to their Lord. They were just built, and they built, and they built. Now, we look at our nation today. What You drive down the road, what do you see? Just construction, construction, construction. We are, we are so blessed as a people. We have so much wealth. And Israel was much in the same circumstance here. But we see they were very covetous. They couldn't have enough. They couldn't, ha- they couldn't have enough. We see drunkenness. Verse 11 through 13 says, Woe unto them. And that is, when it says woe, that, that is the strongest... He's, he's really trying to get their attention. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial and the tabret and the pipe and the wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. They were a bunch of drunkards. And at this time... 
it required a lot of wine for you to get drunk. It wasn't like today you could go and, and get just a couple of shots and you all of a sudden you're drunk. No, they, they had to tarry. And that was a, you know, it took a lot of work to, to produce a bunch of grapes. It wasn't like today we can't just go buy them at the store. Um, so we know that you know they're prospering and they're tearing here at the wine, drinking and drinking and drinking. And throughout the book of Isaiah, drunkenness comes up over and over and over again. The Lord condemns it. Uh, they, uh, and it says uh, also that they were without knowledge. And that doesn't mean that, that, they, that they didn't have the knowledge that they shouldn't have been doing these things. They were given the law, but they refused, they refused to take the correction. They had prophets warning them and telling them the truth, but, but they did not listen. They were without knowledge. This is a willful ignorance. They also mocked, we see in verse 18 and 19, Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin, as it were, with a cart rope, that say, Let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. So that the idea here is, is that they're parading around with their sin, displaying their sin, and, 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 and they're proud of it. They're proud of their sin. You know, we're coming into the month of June. And you know what June is now in America? It's Pride Month. There's going to be all sorts of parades of just of this. Of people parading around, shoving their sin in God's face, saying, look at what we're doing. And they mock the Lord. We see confusion, verses 20 through 23. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. They're wise in their own eyes. You know, we look at today and we say, wow, they're, they're, you know, we, call evil, we call evil good and good evil. It's not anything new. That's been going on since really the beginning of time, since man sinned. It's because that's human nature. We do the opposite of what God created us to do. And no doubt our nation is very confused. And it's a willful ignorance. We see the husbandman's response to all of this. God's plea to judge between him and his vineyard. Look at verses 3 and 4. He asks a question, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done it? So he asks the question, What more could he have done? You know, the laws of, of you know, cause and effect, if, if, you, if you have good soil, you take care of, of your, the plant, you choose a good seed, and you plant it, it should bring forth fruit. It should bring forth something good. And the Lord asks here, Judge, what more, could, what more could the husbandman do? Clearly the laws of cause and effect should necessitate that the vineyard produce the very best fruit. The husbandman supplied everything the vineyard requires to grow healthy fruit. Clearly the verdict finds the vineyard, the house of Israel, to be guilty. 
The best thing the husband can do at this point is to eliminate this poisonous vineyard before it does any more harm to others that may be poisoned by it. God would leave this wicked, ungrateful nation to its own devices. God called them, and compared them, called them Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 1. And he said that if it wasn't just for a small remnant of godly people, you know, we know that later Uzziah went in to, to make a sacrifice himself, and there was priests there that stood in his way and rebuked him. So we know that there were some godly people at this time. But the Lord said, because there's a small remnant, I'm not going to destroy you like Sodom and Gomorrah. If there wasn't, I would. No doubt these are the sins that we see in this nation today. And perhaps, you know, you and I, those that are saved, we're the only thing, we're the only reason the Lord hasn't judged our nation yet. I I think that that's pretty obvious. But there's becoming fewer and fewer and fewer of us that stand for the truth. So what does the the husbandman say that he's going to do? Verse 5, he says, He will remove the hedge and the walls of protection from the boastful and proud, arrogant people. He'll take down that protection. He will allow them to be trampled on by Assyria and Babylon years later. He will forsake the perfectly kept, fertile vineyard and allow it to wither and be overrun. Look at verse 6. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. You know, they thought, they, they were pretty proud of themselves. They thought that they were doing great, but what they didn't recognize is that all the blessings they had came from God. God was the one that was giving them all these things. And just as today people mock the Lord, the Lord is the one giving them the, the breath to, to even say those things. He's given them the life that they have. They think they can do without God. This nation, if people say we, we need to get rid of organized religion and all of that if, if we don't have God we don't have anything verse 13 the rich and gluttonous people would be famished with hunger and thirst they boasted in all their, their greatness Lord just I'm, I'm just not going to give you rain that's all he had to do verse 14 says Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend unto it. Abandoned by God, Israel's natural destination would be total separation from him in the place of torment. Hell will open its dreadful mouth so wide it is without measure, and their glory, pomp, and rejoicing and iniquity will go with it. And that can be said, certainly, of this nation. If we abandon the biblical truths this nation was founded on, as we heard this morning, hell is just going to gobble us up. And as we as individuals, if we do not take heed to the Lord's command for us to repent and believe on Him and follow Him, we'll be swallowed up as well. The Lord of hosts shall be exalted in this judgment of the vineyard, and the holy God shall be sanctified in righteousness. The Lord will show himself to be the only holy and righteous judge of the earth. 
he will answer, answer their request in verse 19, which was when they said, Let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. I think the Lord, at some point, the Lord's just going to give us as a nation what we want. We want to be without God. The Lord will just say, okay, I'll remove myself. We'll take down his protection. But, you know, we, let's, let's just think about, as we heard this morning, about the fruitful hill we've been planted in. Think about the lack of persecution that we've had for past 150 years or so. As some of us have recently learned through going through Baptist history or even this morning, millions of Baptists have suffered torture and death from the Catholic Church, their Protestant children, and state churches. We get to assemble as a congregation and profess our faith in Christ to others without fear. And that's becoming less and less. But, you know, I haven't told somebody the gospel and then me think that they're going to arrest me. For the majority of, of civilization, that, that's not really been the case. We're a blessed people. We have an easy life. Did anyone, anyone besides Abby and Ryan walk to church today? I don't think so. We drove in our nice air-conditioned vehicles. Is anybody hungry? <laughs> if you're hungry, it's your own fault. Does anybody here live in a home without air condition? Does anyone here have to lift water out of a well and carry it to their house? Now, I appreciate my well. <laughs> I spent a lot of money for my well. I appreciate that water. Does anyone here have to make their own clothing? You know, I know some of, some people like to do that, but I'm talking about like, do you have to make your own clothing? No, you just go buy it at the store. You know, we could go on and on and on. Are any of the men here? Do, do any of the men here have to go and, and fight in a battle next week or next month or next year? Well, I hope not. <laughs> but we haven't had war. You know, well. We've had lots of war, but the majority of us haven't had to go to war. Why? Because people went to war for us, sacrificed for us. Does anyone here lack access to a hospital if they need one? You know, those living in poverty today in America are far wealthier than most people in the world. In poverty. Think about how blessed we are as a nation. Think about how blessed we are as families here. You know, those that are married have been given a partner to serve the Lord with. You know, God gave you that partner. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord said, It is not good that man shall live alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. The Lord gave you your spouse if you're married. What a blessing to have somebody that I can serve the Lord with. Somebody who can help me when I fail. Think about those of us that have children. 
The Bible says that lo, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. I get to raise my kids in a nation that's free. I get to take them to church today because people sacrificed their lives that we might have the freedom that we have. Think about the parents. If you have a godly parent that brought you to church as a child, you're blessed far more than most. Let's take it a step further. Those of us that, have, that are saved, turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. I don't know what time I started preaching. I'm just going to ignore it, the clock. So <laughs> I'll do the best I can to finish up. Isaiah, or Psalm chapter 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. And brought me up also out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order, uh, in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You know, the Lord inclined; He stooped His ear down and heard our cry when we were sinking. If you're saved, there was a point in time when you were drowning. It is as if I think of. Uh, Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You are slipping towards hell, being held by just a small little thread. Lord heard your cry, and he, he saved you. He delivered you. He established you. And many are his wonderful works and thoughts towards us. The Lord thinks about us and considers us and delights in us. God gave us those that are saved victory over sin. Romans 6, 12-14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We're not under the law of God. We can be obedient. We can serve Him. And we're under grace. We have an advocate that when we do sin, when we break God's law and transgress it, we can go to the Lord and ask Him to forgive us. 1 John 2, 1-2, Pastor just preached on this, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. When we fail, when we struggle, we can go to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and confess our sins and be made right with him. We can continue our relationship with him. And the Lord is a continual builder in our lives. Philippians 1 through 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. If you're saved, and if you're yielded to him, the Lord's going to continue to work in your life. He's going to keep you. And he's going to change you more and more and more and more like into his son. What a, what a blessing that the Lord would consider us and work in our lives. So I ask the question, we've been planted in a very fruitful hill, have we not? Are we not blessed? The question we must ask ourselves is, what are we producing? Are we producing pleasant fruit or poison berries? Are we like the children of Israel, or are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Charles Spurgeon said this concerning this passage. Has it been so with us? Have we rewarded the well-beloved thus ungratefully for all his pains? Have we given him hardness of heart instead of repentance, unbelief instead of faith, indifference instead of love, idleness instead of holy industry, impurity instead of holiness? Is that my case? Is that your case, my dear friends? Has even our religion been a false thing? Has it been like wild grapes or poisonous berries? Have we been at times right only by accident? And have we never carefully and seduciously sought to serve our Lord or to bring forth fruit to his praise? O Lord, thou knowest, let us judge ourselves in this matter that we be not judged. We need to examine ourselves. What kind of fruit are we producing? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 10. Paul says to the church at Corinth, We then as workers together with them beseech ye also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now Paul is writing to save people in this passage. He's not talking about today you need to repent and turn to him. What he's saying is, is that you're saved. Today's the day to live like it. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and affliction and necessities and distress and stripes and imprisonment and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. The Lord saved us, not just so that we can go to heaven when we die. He saved us that we would bear fruit. And Paul is warning the church in Corinth, don't receive the grace of God in vain. 
produce fruit. Live for Him. The Lord expects us to serve Him. We talk about how the Lord expects us to sin. He does. But He also expects us to serve Him. And it is possible for us to receive the grace of God and fail to serve Him with all our hearts. And I ask the question, is this so with you? Is it so with me? The cure for this, in John fifteen five, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. A branch that is part of the vine and abiding in Christ will bring forth much fruit. doesn't say maybe. doesn't say he might bring forth a little fruit. It says he'll bring forth much fruit. God says so. If you are not producing fruit, you are either not abiding in Christ or you have no part in Christ. It's either one or the other. What will God do to a corrupt vineyard? Just as God judged Israel when after all the blessings they received by God, they brought forth wild grapes, so will God judge every man that produces corrupt fruit after they have received the blessings of God. Now these passages that I'm about to read are talking about unsaved people. But I ask you to examine yourself and see whether these be your fruits. Galatians 5, 19-21 says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So this is a corrupt fruit. This is corrupt fruit. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, which means contentious, emulations, which means zeal, wrath, strife, seditions, which means you're just divisive, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, which is rioting. So we see a lot of that today. And such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, pay attention to this, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a definitive statement. Those that produce these things on a consistent basis, this is the fruit of your life. You're not going to enter the kingdom of God. It's not me saying that, that's God saying that. Revelation 21.7 But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall, another definitive statement, have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If all you do is bring forth corrupt fruit, the Bible says you're not saved and the Lord's going to have to judge you by your corrupt fruit. And that is the majority of those in this nation. But for us that are saved, that do produce fruit, a branch that is part of the vine and does not bear fruit, the Bible says that he taketh them away. That's John 15, 2. And this is the sin unto death. The Lord saved us for a reason. And if we're going to be saved, His child, we need to be producing fruit. And if we're not producing fruit and we're producing corrupt fruit, the Lord says eventually, if you don't repent of that, 
I'm just going to take you away. This is the sin and the death 1 John 5, 16-17 speaks of. That's a serious warning for us. So the conclusion is, is God is good. He is the perfect husbandman. And we have been planted in a wonderful, fruitful hill. We are a blessed people. What more could God do for us that He's not already done? I ask you, Christian, what does God have to do for you in order for you to serve Him with all your heart? He has done everything for you to produce much fruit, and He is looking for His harvest. Examine your fruit. Is it much or is it little? He has planted you on a very fruitful hill for a purpose. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. That's what the Bible says. God is glorified when we bear fruit. So what are you producing? Are you producing just a little fruit? Do you need to work harder for the Lord to serve Him more? The Lord also says that those who bring forth a little fruit, that He'll he'll purge them and prune them. He'll bring hardship and, and the Lord will discipline us that we might be a fruitful vine, more fruitful. The Lord doesn't have to do things the hard way in our life. We can yield to Him and serve Him out of a willful love. I ask, lost sinner, what could God do more for you that you might turn to Him and be a fruitful vine? He has labored much for you. You can do nothing but produce corrupt fruit on your own. Repent and believe on Christ that he might make you a happy, fruitful vine. The husbandman is watching and will not wait forever. He will judge you just as he judged Israel. Hell will open its mouth wide and swallow you up for an eternity. But the Lord is listening. He's waiting for you. And you can be a fruitful vine. Praise the Lord, all of us can serve the Lord and do what God expects from us. He, he hasn't asked us to do anything that, that, that we cannot do. He's given us a victory. And when we fail, when we sin, we can repent and get things right and keep moving forward. We don't have any excuse. We are a blessed people. So what are we doing for the Lord? What fruit are we bearing? Pastor. Pastor.